Okay, everybody. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Kisete. Uh, Parsha's Kisete has the most mitzvot in the Torah. It's basically, if you go through it, it is uh, basically mitzvah after halacha, after halacha, after halacha. Just a list. Some of them are, seem connected, some of them are not. They're all over the place in terms of the mitzvot and the halachos. 74 mitzvot in this, in this Parsha. So I'm not going to, you know, like run down the Parsha like I usually do at the beginning. Uh, a couple of highlights of the halachas that we talk about are Ben Sora Amore, uh, Beged Isha, Tzitzis, Laws of Taking Interest, uh, Yibum, uh, Yifas Torah, which we'll have to talk about, Shiloh HaKain, uh, uh, Amalek at the end. So, you know, lots going on. Um, fascinating to re- kind of read through and see if we can figure out some of the connections, but that's all we're going to do right now. We're going to just pick a couple of topics um, and uh, hopefully... Uh, Dish out some inspiration. Okay, the first pasuk, first pasuk of the parsha, uh, the subject of lots of ink spilled by certainly the Achronim, the later day uh, commentaries, but also also the earlier ones as well. I mean, most everyone points out that the first pasuk of the parsha makes no sense from many different angles. Again, the first topic of the parsha is the Ifas Torah. Just to run down quickly, if a Jew goes out to war and tries uh, and sees a beautiful. A uh, beautiful woman, so he's allowed to take her. Machlokas Rashi tells us in the Gemara uh, whether that means on the battlefield itself or take her home and then and then be with her. But long story short, the Torah says that a Yifas Torah is uh, uh, a soldier is allowed to take a Yifas Torah, uh, a beautiful captive, quote unquote. That's a literal translation, uh, I guess. Not really, but whatever. That's how they translate it. Um, and, uh, and that's that's the din. That's the halacha. And then she converts it's, uh, towards the end, and right, and he's not allowed to. You know, be bad to her, etc. Um, so the first part of the, the first puzzle that introduces that whole that whole story, right, the first par- puzzle in our parsha is ki Right, if you go out to war against your enemy, God will give him over into your hands. Visha visa and you will take captives. And then it keeps on going. It says Right, if you'll see in the captivity a woman who is beautiful, etc., you, you want to marry her. Almost everybody points out, right? Many, many commentaries point out uh, that the first puzzle makes no sense. It's a great exercise if you have some time to sit and learn how to dissect psukim, right, and ask questions on them, uh, because a lot of the language in the puzzle is either contradictory, doesn't make any sense. Just to give it a couple examples, the Kliyakar points out that at first the Torah seems to be talking in Loshon Rabim, right, in the plural. Right, it says, against your enemy, and oivecha is with two yuds. I mean, the second yud means that it's plural, your enemies. And then, right afterwards, it says, that Hashem will give him over to your hands. Right, so it switches from plural to the singular. Right, and the Ziva Shalom points out that it could have just said, right, if you go out to war against an enemy, what does it mean, oivecha? What does it mean, your enemy? It seems to imply an enemy that's known, that's personal, that you're aware of. But he also asks why in the world the Torah even says, why, why does he have to say that God gives him over into your hands? could have just said, You go out to war and you take captives. Why does it say you go out to war and Hashem gives him over into your hand right, and you take captives? Okay, it's a nice message in Amunah, but like... Uh, it's, it's unnecessary. The public doesn't need to give us uh, an Amuna speech right now at this point. Sivsa uh, Chachamim points out, why does it need to say, go to war against your enemies? Right? You ain't going to war against your friends. 
Right? So who else are you going to, get, going to war against? Right? You could have just said when you go out to war and you take captives. doesn't have to say against your enemies. And finally, just one more example. And finally, the Archaim says you don't even need the entire Pasuk. Right? You could have just started. Kisir eh b'shivya, or varisa b'shivya is If you see in captivity, right? And the implication would be you went out to war. We get the point. But Israel fighting wars all the time. You don't even need to start it with that. Right? You could have just started with the second Pasuk. So Chazal understand, right? pretty much everybody across the board, that there's something deeper going on uh, than the literal meaning of the Pasuk. Yes, it's a nice intro to this Parsha, but there's something deeper going on. And almost all of them line up the same way. etc. That we're talking about the Melchemes HaYetzer, the fight against our Yetzer Hara. And therefore, the Pasuk says, what does it mean when you go out to war against your enemy? Right? Your personal enemy. Every one of us, every single one of us, all the Jews, have a personal enemy that we fight against, and that is the Yitzhahara. And therefore the public says afterwards, Hashem will give him over into your hands. Hashem will give you Sa'ad Ishmael, will give you help with him. And to the point where you'll take captives, that you can win this war, and you can even take captives, right? That's, the, that's an explanation. When you take captives, you've won the war decisively. So that's what the Torah is illustrating. And the Torah is encouraging us to fight our Yitzhahara, and certainly, as, as they point out during this month of Elul, obviously we're always encouraged to fight our Yitzhahara, but certainly nowadays when when uh, when the, when we're holding right before Rosh Hashanah, so that's what the Torah is encouraging us to do. So what is required, though, as the pasuk you know implies, kisei tzelam lechama. You got to go out to war, right? You got to make the effort, right? No one else is going to do it for you, right? You have to go out and you have to fight the war against your enemy, your personal enemy, the enemy that all of us have is unique to us, right? Everybody is different, right? The Yitzhahara knows all of our strengths and knows all of our weaknesses. So when I fight my Yitzhahara, it's different than you fighting Yitzhahara. And I can't fight it for you because I'm waging a completely different war, right? Even if I could get into your head, right? It's not my battle, it's your battle. And, but even though that's kind of scary, right, you should know that Shem will give you Yitzhahara into our hands, into each and every one of our hands, and we will take him captive, right? The question is though, how do you go out and fight your enemy, right? How do you go? Right? Well, how do you wage war? It's the most important war at all. Right, you'd imagine right, that we put a little bit of effort into preparing right, and thinking about it. Right? Most of us are in a battle that we have no idea how to fight. Right? What weapons do you use? What strategies do you employ? Right? Like most of us don't even think about it. And the first thing you have to know, right, even before you start the strategy, is that you have to know the enemy. Right? You can't fight a war if you have no idea what the enemy is going to bring. Right? Football starts tonight in the NFL, so you can't plan a football game if you don't want, you know what kind of offense the enemy is going to run. So the same thing with the Yitzhahara, right? So you have to analyze the strategies that the Yitzhahara uses. Now, where do you find that? So Marebbe used to say that the first time that someone or something appears in the Torah is very instrumental in teaching us a lot about that person or thing. For example, Avram Avinu is introduced to us in Lech Lecha, right? The first words to the first Jew, by all intents and purposes, is Lech Lecha, Me'aretzcha, That's where we get introduced to Avram. Yet, we all know, we talked from when we were little kids, that Avram had a career, right? That was about when he was 75 years old. Avram had a long career before that. Right? We know famous stories in the Medrash about swinging the baseball bat, breaking all the idols, etc., etc. So the Torah doesn't tell us that story. So, because the way that it wants to introduce uh, Avram is it, it, by, on purpose, right? He wants to give us the first words that Hashem spoke to him were Lechacha. And that's how we, again, that's how, well, when we get to Parshish Lechacha, we'll talk about that. But... So the first time we see, the, so we have to do that with, with, with everything, really. And specifically, if we're looking for an uh, allusion to the Yitzhahara, uh, we have to go uh, into the Torah and see where the Yitzhahara uh, comes up first. Where is that? So that's by the Nachash. 
Right, that's always all the way back in Gan Eden, by, by the original sin, by the first sin, where the Nachash seduced, seduced Chava and Adam into eating uh, the Itzadats. But before we do this, right, again, if you have a Chumash, it's great. It's great to follow along. You can grab a Chumash. It's Per Gimel, obviously Pesach Aleph, uh, in Bracious, right, not in Dvarim. Um, but even more than that, pick. I want you to pick an Avera that you struggle with often. Now, you don't have to, obviously, don't tell me. But I w- pick an area you struggle with often. And when you have that, think about this through the entire exercise. I'm thinking of something right now. Right? And use that Avera in the context of this kind of uh, exercise. And, and you'll see, what I, if you think about if what I'm saying fits into all the times that you unfortunately fell right, and uh, was over, were over on that Avera and struggled with that Avera. So how does the Yitzhahara work? So let's just kind of read Perigim a little bit. The snake was extremely clever. And he said to the woman, Hey, what, what did Hashem say? Uh, did Hashem say, Don't eat from any fruit of the tree? Right? The first thing the Nachash does, the first thing Yitzhahara does, is he gets into conversation with us. Right? Whatever, whatever halacha it is, whatever avera it is, whatever issue, issue it is, Start thinking in your head, all right, what's, what's the deal here? What's the situation? What are we dealing with? So, so the woman, right, Chava, outlines the halachos. She said, okay, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with, you're, you're allowed to eat anything, but from that tree over there, and don't eat it and don't touch it, and what will happen if you do it? Then, pentamusun, you will die. So we're dealing with a halacha that you can do almost anything, except for one tiny little thing. And, by the way, if you do that, Isser, right, then you're going to die. So the Yitzhah gets us involved, starts thinking about the halacha in question, uh, and says, all right, this is what we're dealing with. And the first thing that Nachash says, Nachash has three things. And the first thing he does, right, to break down well, maybe the barriers and the inhibitions of doing the halacha, because again, think about it, if, if the woman, if, if the woman, if Chava was able to spit out, hey, if I do that, I will die, Obviously, it was in the forefront of her mind, and she felt that, and she thought that was true. Right? So the first thing the Yitzhahara does to break down that knowledge and that realization and that focus that we have in our mind is the following. Nope, it's not true. It's not true. You're not going to die. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal to violate the Savera. Right? He injects a little bit of kfira, a little bit of disbelief. Right? It's not really true. Right? The Averis are not so serious. The Torah is not really true. The punishments are not really real. Shem does not really care. That's the first thing it does. It starts breaking down the, the potential deterrent and the punishment. Second thing, he says, Hashem knows that when you eat this, eat this food, right, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God. The second thing the Nachash does, he, he introduces a little bit of gaiva, a little bit of arrogance. Who is Hashem to tell you what, 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 what to do? Right? Hashem, what's Hashem really nervous about? He's nervous that you'll be his equal. Right? He, knew, he knows v'yisem kilkin, that you'll be like God. You are like God. Well, who's God to tell you what to do? So the Yitzhahara tries and gets us to not really care what Akash Baruch wants and tries to fire us up and tries to say, Hey, listen, you're just as valued. You're on par with Hashem. You, who, why should he tell you what to do? Gives that a little bit of extra gaiva. And finally, it doesn't really s- do this, but the puzzle explains what happened in Chava's mind, so that you can imagine that that was what was going on. 
Vatira isha kito vaitamahal, the chisavahu leinayim. Right? The the snake, the Yitzhahara, injects a little bit of extra ta'ava, taiva, desire. Vinechmat ha'itzlas kio. And it was the free was good to look at. Right? The moment we're faced with an iser, any type of you know halacha that we're struggling with, the moment we're faced with it, we have a little bit of extra taiva, a little bit of extra desire. Right? If you're uh, struggling with kashrus, uh, you're not thinking about the cheeseburger until you walk by McDonald's and you start smelling it. When you start smelling it, you're like, oh, I really want a cheeseburger. So that's a little, that's the Torah, the, the, the Yitzhahara does that all the time. That we're not necessarily thinking about the Yitzhahara, but all of a sudden if it pops up, we have a, it's much harder to detach ourselves from it because we got a little bit of extra taiva, a little bit of extra desire. And sure enough, as we see in the Pesach, that Chava ended up eating from the tree right afterwards. So the, again, to recap, the Yitzhahara does three things. First of all, a little bit of kfira makes us not believe. A little bit of, hey, it's not really true. It's not really us, or it's not really a big deal. If the punishment's not real, Kashparaka doesn't care, all that type of stuff. B, he injects with us a little bit of gaiva, a little bit of arrogance. Who is a chef to tell me what to do? I want to do this, so therefore I'm going to do it, right? Why shouldn't I do it? And finally, Taiva gives us a little bit of extra physical desire, right, to violate whatever we're dealing with. Now, incidentally, just to, as an aside, that parallels the the big three, right? The the big three that we're not supposed to violate, Gilu Resh uh, Shukhazdamim and Avodazara. The big three that if someone puts their guns in your head, you're not supposed to violate these Yisurim. If someone puts their guns in your head and says violate an Isser, you're supposed to do the Isser. Except for the big three, what's that? Avodazara, that's Kfira, Gilu Arayos, which is Taiva, and Shukhazdamim murder, right? Which is Gaiva, arrogance, right? You kill somebody, right? You're Bal Gaiva, you're arrogant. Who? You decide when their life is over. That's terrible. But okay, either way, on the side. Now, how do you fight the Azara? Right now that we know how he's going to fight us, he's going to fight us in those three areas. Now, no chidushim, nothing new. By learning Torah, you get rid of the kfira, right? By understanding and knowing the halachos that the, they are true. That the, yes, this is usher, and yes, this is the punishment. But if you know that thick and thin, like you know that the sun is bright, it's a terrible example, but you know what I mean. If you know something is true because you studied it over and over and over, or you know two plus two is four, uh, if you the punishment for Chil Shabbos is Misa. Right? If you learned it well and you're holding in Torah, so that gets rid of the Kfirah. There's no way that the, the, the Yitzhara can't be like, it's not true. Because you know it's true. You studied it. You learned the Gemaras. You learned the Rashi. You learned the Halacha. You saw Shachanarach. You saw the commentary. You're, you're, you know it, so you can't have the Kfirah. And if you work in your Midos, right, you learn Musr, read Mesil Sisharim like we've been doing, right, and put effort into improving your Midos, so that's get rid of that, that combats the Gaiva and the Taiva. That combats the arrogance. Uh, and a desire. And a person lo- learns how to control themselves, and a person learns that uh, that as amazing as he is, right? Still, obviously, he's not on par with the Gosh Baruch Hu, and then and the person's arrogance kind of go- falls away right, when you work on your midos. Okay, again, uh, again, no, like I said, no kedushin, but uh, as we said in Mitzvah Zisharim, we're going to say, we'll mention it again later. Right, everything that is simple requires chizuk. Everything that you know already requires to to be mentioned and reminded of. Um, and so, there's definitely uh, important tactics. Uh, to try and fight uh, to try and fight the Yitzhar, certainly in Cholish Elul, uh, right before Rosh Hashanah. Um, I just want to mention one more thing with regards to the Fastor, right? My Rebbe, Rav Yonason Sachs, so he, he shared, he very fond of saying this vort. Uh, I've heard it many times from him. I also heard that this is, uh, I heard this from Rav David Miller also, uh, in the name of Rechezkel Abramsky. Rechezkel Abramsky was, uh, was Rosh Hashiva in London. Um, so, yeah, this, so, Baruch Hashem, that uh, Baruch Hashem, 
not Kivanti, but that uh, several several have mentioned this idea, and it's extremely power, extremely simple, and extremely powerful. But like you said at the beginning, right, the partially Yifas Torah, the whole concept is that a Jew will go out to war, and he won't be able to control himself, right? And he'll see a beautiful beautiful captive, and he's allowed to take her. Rashi there over says. I already quotes the Gemara Kedushin, Lo Dibra Torah, Eloki Yitzhahara. The Torah is speaking against the Yitzhahara. Why? Because if Hashem wouldn't allow a soldier who is involved on the battlefield and his passions are running high and uh, his brain is haywired and he's all alert and he's feeling masculine, etc. If Hashem would not allow him to take this beautiful captive, he would have married her by Be'isr. He would have done it anyway. Right? That's, what, that's what Rashi says. And that's what the Gemara says. And what that means is as follows. The Torah, with its infinite knowledge of human psyche, right, permitted a Jewish soldier to take this beautiful non-Jewish woman because otherwise he would not be able to resist himself. He would not be able to help himself. And he would do it anyway. So therefore, the Torah conceded the law to the Yetzirah, almost, as it will. Because otherwise it would be humanly impossible to resist the temptation, and therefore the Torah didn't forbid it. But aside from the many questions that come up from this, right, you have to understand a little bit further. The Ramchal writes in Der Hashem that the whole purpose of life is to choose between good and evil. Right? As, and the Torah therefore covered every aspect of human existence, right, pretty much, right, there's Allah for all, all, basically everything, and outline which is good and which is evil, right? Mitzvos versus Averos. So in every realm of human existence, we're presented with these two options, right? There's a halacha, and there is not the halacha, and we're told to, right? Bukhat v'chaim, Moshe Rabbeinu says, choose good, choose life, uh, and choose good over evil. The, what follows is that if there's an aspect of human existence where there is no choice, where there is no possibility to choose good over evil, like in this case, like Rashi is saying, like the Gemara is saying, that it is impossible for the soldier to resist. So the Torah does not have halachos forbidding it. Right? The Torah didn't answer it if it's impossible to do. Right? Because God knew man's nature that he could not resist, and therefore there's no possibility of choosing good over evil. Therefore the Torah didn't say it was Asr. What does that mean? Right? It means that the Torah did not forbid anything that we can't handle. Right? If there is something we can't handle, the Torah would never say it's Asr. So Rav pointed out many times that this idea should be a great source of inspiration. If the Torah permitted the Yifas Torah because it is a mitzvah we could not fulfill, that means we can fulfill everything else. Right? Again, very often we view the Torah and the Halacha as like something that's immense, that is impossible. We can't possibly hope to keep that Halacha and this Halacha, whatever. Right? Obviously, we keep it much as you can, but we, we almost feel like these halachos sometimes are an insurmountable task. The, the fast Torah teaches us that it's not true, that we can do it all. Right? Meaning if we couldn't, Hashem wouldn't ask us to. Right? We have the kach to fulfill every single halacha, every single mitzvah. And even though you might, a lot of us would think, oh, I can't do this, I can't prove, improve my ways. It's too hard, I don't have the strength, I don't have the ability. You do. You have the ability. Because right? otherwise Hashem wouldn't tell us to. Right? And this is what the Yifas Torah proves, that the uh, Baruch wants us to try and put an effort in all the other realms, because if it was impossible, Hashem would never ask us uh, to do it. Okay, switching gears a little bit, I just wanted to mention uh, quickly, and again, this is a topic we've covered many times, so I won't spend so much time on it, but 
the Torah does mention it here, and I want to just give it a proper shout out. Um, the Torah says in, this, in, in the parsha, this week's in parsha Kisetzei, Zachor Eis Asher saw Hashem Alkecha Lemiriam Baderech Betzeischem Mitzrayim. And it talks about Lashon Hara, and it says Sarah, don't get Saras from your Lashon Hara. It says, remember what happened to Miriam when she left Egypt, and obviously what it's referring to, the story at the end of Parshish Baloscha, where she said Lashon Hara about Moshe Rabbeinu, and uh, she had Saras, they waited for her, etc. So um, this is one of the Sheish Zechiros, one of the six things that we are supposed, supposed to remember. Uh, that we're commanded to remember in the Torah, when the Torah says Zachor, right, one of them most famously is at the end of the week's parsha, which is Amalek, which we'll talk about next. Um, but the Sheish Zechiros are remembering Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim, leaving Egypt, Maimed Har Sinai, Amalek, which I said we'll get to, Chet Egel, Shabbos, and Miriam. Now, if we would play a game that I used to enjoy on Sesame Street called Which One of These is Not Like the Others, I would have said, well, Five of these are Ikari Amuna, basic Judaism stuff, right? Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, Har Sinai, uh, Amalek, Chet Egel, Shabbos, and Miriam seems not to fit, right? Again, I, listen, I, Miriam was a tremendous tzaddikus, and uh, okay, Lashon Har is a big deal, fine. She got Saras, not one of the, right, all five of the other ones are monumental historical uh, you know, occurrences in Jewish history. Miriam, and Miriam gets harassed. So what's going on over here? So it says of Nassim Sufinkel, no, that's exactly the point. That Lashon Hara is that big a deal. Right? The Sheish Zechiros are the foundation of Am Yisrael, And Lashon Hara is on par with all the other five. Again, we've been talking about it in Mesiyah Sushar, and the Gemara Barabbasar says that everybody, unfortunately, violates some form of Lashon Hara. Gemara Erechin says that someone who speaks Lashon Hara is like their Kofor Be'ikr, as if they violate the big three. Right? Lashon Hara is on par with all the other ones. Right? We don't think of it because, unfortunately, we chatter all the time, and we talk all the time, and we speak all the time. So it is a big deal, uh, but we don't realize it. Right? Again, a Jews, what the Sheish Zechiris are telling us is that a Jew who speaks Lashon Hara is like a Jew who is Michal Shabbos, as if a Jew eats Chavetz on Pesach, right? as if a Jew I don't know, worships the Chet Egel. And worship the ego. Right? I know we don't put it on par, but Nassim points out that we really should and we need to, and that requires the most chizuk, uh, because you know Rosh Hashanah is, uh, uh, Hashan is coming up, and uh, you know that's Bidan Lachaveru does not get taken care of by Yom Kippur, uh, you know. So we, that's only Bidan Lamakom. So we have to start now, right? It is really what is Yud Beis? I think it's Yud Beis Elul. So we're you know not halfway through, but a third of the way, definitely a third of the way through Elul. So definitely we have to start thinking about our, our Bidan Lachaveru, right? And uh, making sure we take care of uh, all the Lashon Hara holes, right? and hopefully start working on that right sooner rather than later. Okay, let's finish off, and I say finish, but it's not uh, such a short conversation, but let's finish off with Amalek, as the story, as the Parsha ends off. As Parsha ends off with the, you know, Amalek, famous Psukim, Zachor, Esa, Sherez, Amalek, Baderek, Mitzitzchem, and Mitzrayim. This is the Parsha Zachor, which we read before Purim, uh, these three Psukim. So, the problem is, there's a lot to unpack, and a lot of ambiguity here. In terms of in terms of these psukim. let's just read it quickly right and then we'll, we'll ask the questions and hopefully give uh, some decent answers the puzzle says remember what amalek did to you when you left egypt 
that he happened upon you on the way. He struck all of you, all of you who were behind. You were tired and weary, but you did not fear. Did not fear God. When Hashem takes care of you, when He gives you to rest from all your enemies, when you get to Eretz Yisrael, right to the inheritance, destroy, get rid of the memory of Amalek from underneath the heavens. Don't forget. So a lot to unpack. First of all, some oddities in the text. What is it? The first pasuk uh, is a little bit. We'll talk about the first pasuk. A lot of strange. Uh, you know, kind of languages over here with Amalek. What did he do that was so wrong? Uh, you know, what, what, what was even so bad? Again, a lot of nations attacked Bnei Israel. What, Amalek, what did Amalek do that was so bad? He attacked them right after leaving Egypt. Uh, third, why do we have to destroy them completely, entirely? It's, it's almost like that kind of escalated. Yes, I get it. They ta- attacked us. Fine. So, you know, down with Amalek. But to destroy every the memory of Amalek, it seems a little bit like intense. Um, and finally, how do we even relate to this, this nowadays? Gemara tells us on Sancheriv, uh, mixed up, right, exiled the ten tribes, and also part of his whole thing was he mixed up all the nations, so they would not rebel against him. So Amalek is lost to us nowadays, right? So, so how do we relate to this halacha? Right, the Torah is eternal. Obviously, it's something that we have to take from this. So first of all, the strangeness of the pesukim. Let's deal with that first. If you're following along, the pasuk says again the first pasuk. Remember what Amalek did to you on the path when you left Egypt. There is an extra word in there. Which word is extra? Good, Baderach. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. The word Baderach, on the path. It could have just said, remember what Amalek did to you when you left Egypt. What does it mean, remember what Amalek did to you on the path when you left Egypt? Seems to be extra. The next thing, the next pasuk also says, "Asher derech." He came upon you on the derech, on the way. Like, what do you mean on the way? He just came upon you. What does it matter? What, what, what what's the difference? What does it matter where you were going? So, I heard from uh, Rashmul Zucker, who's who was my Rebbe at Mivasar, now he's a Rebbe at Aish, and see the Shalom writes this and others. Bnei Yisrael were on a derech. They were on a path. They were leaving Egypt. Right, they left Egypt on the Memtes Shari Tuma, the lowest level, uh, and they were going to the highest. Right, they were going on their way to Har Sinai. Right, they were going. That took, it took them forty-nine days, forty-nine levels of Tuma. That's where we commemorate Sfirsa Omer. Right, the growth that Bnei Israel accomplished. Right, and that hopefully uh, we can replicate every single year. Right, when Amalek attacked them on the way, they tried to stop that progress. Right, the whole point of Amalek is that they tried to get us to stop growing. They tried to interfere with our progress spirituality. So what Chazal explained and that nowadays Amalek is code word for anything that causes a slowing in our years Shemayim, anything that causes a stop that stunts our growth. That's what Amalek represents nowadays. Right? That's what we're talking about nowadays. We're obviously not going into the streets and killing people, but nowadays Amalek is anything kind of similar to what we talked about at the beginning of the parsha with the Yitzhahara. The Amalek is anything that slows and stunts and impacts our spirituality, our connection to spirituality. Our, our ability to, to speak in, in holy way in a holy way and think in a holy way and connect to Barshbarka. That's Amalek. Now, how exactly did they do that? Right? Obviously, again, in literal terms, they came and they fought a war against against 
against Am Yisrael. But the way the Torah describes them, and, and the way the Chazal talk about Amalek as the, as the source of Tumah, the Koch in this world, what, is, what does Amalek do to us that, that causes us to stunt our growth, that causes our, our spirituality to decline, that causes us to have something between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Pazik says, Asher Karucha Baderach. Right? Literally, well, it depends on how you translate that. But what does it mean? What does it mean, Karcha? What does that mean? What did, exactly did Amalek do to us on the way? So there are two of them. Two possible, well, there are probably several possibilities, but two of them that are probably more famous and two, more well-known. Uh, and, and Rashi, if I'm not mistaken, quotes them both. Um, no, you quote, there are a bunch of them that Rashi quotes. I take it back, right? Okay, we'll, we'll just talk about two of them. The first one that Rashi quotes, we'll talk about second, ironically. Uh, the second one that he quotes, if uh, I'm just looking in Pazagirchas, Loshon Kor Vachom, right? Language of cold and hot. Karacha, kar, kar is cold, right? Nowadays in Hebrew also, kar is cold. Kor Vachom, right? Lashon, language of cold and hot. Tsinancha Vefshircha Meretichascha, right? That he calmed you down, cooled you off from your boiling. Right, Rashi says that mashal uh, bati rotechas. It's a mashal to a a boiling hot tub, if you can imagine. Shein kol biri yichol leiri b'socha. That no one's going to go into it. And bab ben bliyal echad kavat v'yarad l'tocha. One guy jumps in. Afapish and nichva, and even though he's burned, hikreo savif neacherim. He has cooled it off for others. Meaning, it's not so. Even though he gets scalded all over the place, it's not so. He makes other people think it's not so bad. So literally, Rashi writes over here. I, I skipped the line, but that, he says that the nations were afraid to attack Amisrael. Amalek came along and, and said, "Hey, you, we, you can attack them." But again, if we're taking it for now, for for Elul, right, relating it to us nowadays, right, we're talking about the the path from you know maybe not Memtes Shari Tuma, but a state of Tuma to hopefully the highest level of, of Kedusha. Right, just like Pnei Yisrael went from Mitzrayim to Har Sinai, right? If if a passion for Yiddishkeit is likened to a fire, right? Like uh, like the breast lovers say, right? Haisheli Dukada Biat Hamashiach, right? Our, my, the fire inside, the fire is is the neshama, right? They're compared to uh, the thirst for spirituality, the connection to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So Amalek is the ice; it's the cold and the freezing and the extinguishing of the passion that we have. Anything that slows down our passion, anything that numbs us, right, to the kedusha of Torah. That's a Malik. And that could be many things nowadays. Right? It could be uh, having friends that are not uh, on the same path as you are. It could be your phone. It could be you know, Disney Plus or Netflix or whatever. It could be an obsession with American politics or beauty or making money or whatever. Everyone's got their own personal Amalek. Right? So that has to be dealt with. And that's exactly what we're dealing with over here. Now, I'm not saying that you should go kill your friends. God forbid. But everyone has a personal Amalek, just like we talked about at the top uh, of the shear. Now, Rav Nazi Finkel also points out that uh, there's something that leads a person to this uh, krirus, to this being cold in their avodah Hashem. And one, there are many things, but one of those things that specifically that he touches on is a lack of godless ha'adam, is a lack of self-esteem. That a person thinks, eh, gosh, Baruch doesn't care about little old me. He doesn't care if I daven. He doesn't care if I get a shul on time. He doesn't care if I give miser or I learn or help my parents or any of the details of all the halachos. Gosh, Baruch doesn't care. It's not, it's not, a, I'm not important. That causes a person to lose a desire to grow. And that stunts your growth. Right? A person has to realize that they are incredible, a spiritual power that can affect worlds. Like Rav Chaim Bruchka writes in Nefesh right? Uh, Rav Nassim quotes the Saba from Slabodka. 
We used to say that a person's entire spiritual success is based upon their self-worth and their self-esteem and their self-confidence. Again, the Slobodka churned out tons of gedolim. Right, that uh, certainly that, that came to America right uh, before the war right Cutler of Yaakov Kamenetsky these were not they were not violent gaiva we're not, we're not talking about arrogant people but they had a healthy sense right certainly a healthy sense of self-esteem right their own bond rights that humility is not thinking that you're nothing to be humble doesn't mean that you're you should think you're nothing right? Moshe was the most humble of all time he didn't think he was nothing he realized he was the leader of Amisra. Right? But being humble is knowing your capabilities, but realizing where they came from. Right? That you have skills and, and you're blessed with abilities, that's from Akash Baruch Hu. Who knew that more than Moshe, who spoke to Akash Baruch Hu pal right? Moshe certainly knew that everything from comes from Akash Baruch Hu. He was the most humble of all time. So that a person needs to have a healthy sense of self-esteem, because if you don't, that can lead a person to, uh, to be car, to be cold, to be lack of, not to be not inspired. Person has to work on their, you know, on their godless adam. So the second way Chazal interpret Asher Karach that we'll talk about right now is that the first one that Rashi mentions is first the two words first that Rashi quoting the Sifri is Lashon Mikre, is Lashon Keri. Right, the language of we find this word in the Tocha and Bechukosai a lot, and the two Tochas in the Torah, one's next week and one is at the end of Parshas, uh, at the end of Sefer Vayikra. So there, in Parshat B'chukosai, the Torah says that the Tochacha, Rachman al-Tzlan, right, all these curses that will come of on Yisrael, will happen in the Halachta imi keri. If you walk with Hashem from keri, keri is a language of mikre, happenstance, coincidence. If you just happen to walk with Hashem casually, right, there are a bunch of things that you do. You go to college, and you follow sports, and uh, you follow politics, and you also do Judaism. And all four of those are equal, and at any time, right, one of them... Can override the other so you casually you know go to shul whenever you're able to and and feel like it etc and go daven and put on tefillin and shake lula if it wants if you're in the mood so if that's how you deal with the torah if you if it's just a casual hobby or whatever so Hashem will deal with you in the same way right the action will casually relate to you as well that leads to a tochacha that leads to a catastrophe when kosh Boko removes ashkacha pratis so that's what it says in the Torah, and over here, that's the same idea that Amalek, right, is introduced this uh, this idea of just casually, not really, kind of paying attention to a Gosh Baruch Hu, right? As Melech points out, that uh, Amalek is the gematria of Suffolk, right? They're both two hundred and forty, right? Well, that stops a person from growing, right? When a person has a Suffolk, when a person has a doubt. When a person doubts the shkach of pratis of Akash Baruch Hu, a person says, ah, everything is happenstance. It's all coincidence. There's no guiding hand in my life. That's a malik. Right? That's what you have to destroy. Right? That's what you have to hunt down. Any remnant of doubt in our minds that Akash Baruch Hu is taking care of us fully at every moment, guiding everything in our lives, right? putting us in places where we will succeed or be challenged to succeed. Right? It, the doubt that it, the malik plants in our minds, that's what we have to eradicate. Remember, quotes the first Shmuel that says, the public says, Timchas Zechar Amalek, destroy Amalek, mitachas Hashemayim, from underneath the sky. What do you mean underneath the sky? Right? We're all under the sky. What every, every mitzvah is under the sky. So he says, no, that's exactly what Amalek is saying. He's saying everything is beneath the skies. It's all happening down here on earth. It's not coming from above. It's not coming from Hashem. The Torah says, destroy that. Destroy that attitude of everything happens on earth, under the sky, because everything happens from above the sky. Everything is governed by Kosh Baruch Hu. 
Right? We have to realize that our parnasa is fixed by Hashem, and we don't get damaged by a, by someone else unless a kosh baruch goes or it, and no one can steal, uh, take our business, take our shidduch, take our whatever, right? unless a kosh baruch says that. Right? The Gemara says, beginning mesakas chulin. Right? A person doesn't stub their toe down here, right? Unless a kosh baruch goes there upstairs. If a person thinks that nothing is on purpose, that everything is chance, that everything is out of his control, so then they lose faith. The result is, right, that uh, then you become tired and weary, you don't fear God. Right? That's, again, I, you know, if we, if we uh, people who are God-less, right, I would imagine, are more stressed. When, when a person really has true amunabitachon, so things go bad, but they realize, okay, Kosh Baruch Hu's going to take care of me. And they realize, they look to see the silver lining, and they're able to be, have a mood of bitachon, that comes with the tova, that everything is good. person doesn't have that attitude, that everything is coincidence, so it's terrifying, right? We just saw it with corona. Right? If it, it seems so random. Who would get COVID, who would not get COVID, who would be seriously affected by COVID, who would not be seriously affected by COVID. It seems so random. It was literally worldwide panic. So that's, that's what Amalek is, and that's what we have to eradicate. And this is actually indicated by the psukim in Parshish B'Shalach, in Parshish B'Shalach, that describe the actual fight against Amalek. Right? Puzzik says, very strange. It says, Yisrael. When Moshe, again, Moshe, remember, he was sitting on a rock, and he was diving to Hashem, and he was lifting his hands up. And when Moshe would lift his hands up, then the Jews would win the war. Be, they would be winning the war. And when he would put his hands down, then Amalek would, would start... Start winning the war. And the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, what do you mean? Moshe's hands were determining the battle? Moshe wasn't anywhere near the battle. Well, what does that mean? So he says, no. What, what it means is that when Bnei Yisrael looked heavenward, when they looked at Moshe's hands and they pointed towards the sky and they realized, ah, everything's from Hashem, then they could defeat Amalek. If Moshe's hands were down and Bnei Yisrael were looking at this earth and thinking that everything is, nothing is from Hashem and everything just is random, so then they would lose. That's exactly the fight of Amalek, says Melech Biderman. That's exactly the fight of Amalek. Right? To realize that everything is from Akash Baruch And that's why it says Lo Tishkach, that you can't ever forget. And that's why we have to eradicate it. Because at every moment, right, if a person thinks that something is random and happening to him, so he fails to see that Shkacha that Hashem is trying to give him in his, in, in his or her life. Right. That's why Lo Tishkach, don't forget this ever. Right. It's one of the six, like I said, the Shesh Zechiros. Because a person always has to have that outlook. A person always has to have that mindset. And that will guide him towards spiritual success. Right. Certainly nowadays, before Rosh Hashanah, right, Ram Kippur, Sarah Smechuva, we have to realize that everything that happens to us is from a Kosh Baruch Hu. Kosh Baruch Hu is trying to push us towards uh, in the right direction. And amidst Hashem, if we have that attitude, we'll be able to fully eradicate and destroy Amalek uh, and be Zohar for a good judgment. Amen, Kenny Ratzon. Right, great to see everybody. And uh, amidst Hashem, I'll see you on Monday for uh, Mesil Sisharim.